morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, and this morning we are continuing studying this letter, um, the second letter from Peter to the churches in Asia Minor. If you were with us last week for the introduction to this book, you'll remember Peter is rooting godliness in Jesus Christ. Godliness in Jesus Christ and our understanding of His Word. And this will be necessary in 1 Peter, we read, because of physical persecution, attacks against the church and the lives of its members. And what we will read in 2 Peter is more of a spiritual assault, a spiritual attack against what is true and right and is the Word of God. And Peter makes it very clear in our text this morning that these two passages are closely related. In fact, he starts out with um, verse 5 by saying, For this very reason, noting that we have to grasp what we talked about last week in order to fully appreciate what he is saying today. And what we will read today in our passage is that what you plant into your life, What you let go into your heart through what you consume, through what you focus on, through what you pay attention to, what you put in, you will get out. The fruit of your life will reveal the truth of your heart. Thinking about this, recently I planted um, rain lilies for my wife for our anniversary. We planted a bunch of them. You know what I hope to expect to see in a few months, mid to late summer? Rain lilies. There's only one problem. I have no idea what a rain lily is. I don't know if what we get is rain lilies or not. I'll put a picture up. Maybe you can help me. But I don't expect to see pineapples. I don't expect to see cacti. I don't expect to see anything else other than rain lilies because that's what we put in the ground. And if the seeds or the bulbs that I bought were accurate then we should get what we put in. It's the same in our own lives. It it works the exact same way. That which we put into our life, that which we take in, will flow out. And this becomes really important in matters of behavior. This becomes really important in how we handle stressful situations like what Peter is writing about, times of trials and persecutions. You will produce that which you have taken in. And that's why Peter's addressing this to the church. And I I find this to be a very important lesson for us as the church today. For we are still facing trials and persecution, and we still need strength to stand boldly. And so we need the help of God to do so. With that in mind, would you please follow along with me as I read for us God's word for this morning? I will read from 2 Peter Chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and then I'll read through the 11th verse. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you go with me to him in this time and ask that he water it and provide the fruit that he desires in us? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are yours. Would you produce good fruit in our lives? Would you, out of an abundance of love for you, strengthen us and grow us and cause us to desire you and godliness and and the things of your word more and more? Help us to walk alongside one another in this endeavor. May we seek to raise each and every one of us up as the body of Christ. Lord, this can only come through the power of your Holy Spirit and your blessing upon it. And so I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit and by your blessing, O Lord, would you grow us today. Do so through the reading and hearing of your word. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Before we even begin to unpack this passage this morning, there is a major theological understanding that we absolutely have to have or else we will wade into theological heresy. Anytime the Bible talks about good works, how we should act as Christians, working out something, we must see it in its context. Context is king. We are not made righteous before God by our good works. You could make the case we are made righteous by good works as long as you Follow that immediately up with by the works of Christ. We, we cannot in any circumstance get to the conclusion that it's our working something out, our behavior, our attitude, what we do for God, what we do for the church that makes us righteous. Simply put, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's been revealed to us in the scriptures alone. Period. Other than you would revolt and I would have gotten into a lot of trouble, I would have absolutely loved to cover 1 through 15 as one sermon. just would have taken about four hours to do it. But this is one theological unit. This, this is one argument, and we need to be very careful. We're breaking it up for the sake of time, but we have to read it as one piece. Or we can fall into dangerous waters. To, to think back to, to some of the things we learned from 1 through 4, we talked about who we are in Christ and who, what He did for us, what He purchased for us. He gave us the right to become children of God, heirs of the promises of hope, our sin forgiven, freedom from the corruption of this world, uh, an ability to understand and to desire the knowledge of God as laid out in His Word. Verses 1 through 4, if you remember, a beautiful section of reminding us of who Christ is and who we are in Him. And for this reason, now, in our passage today, we're told to grow. 
we're told to grow in various ways. And we've got to make sure we do this. We, we have to get this order right. Because of who we are in Christ, there will be an outflowing in our actions, our attitudes, and our behaviors. We should want to do good, and we should want to seek righteousness because of who we are in Christ. And I, I've got to get this order right here, and we have to make sure we do this, or it, it, it becomes very dangerous for you, and will be quite discouraging, to be honest. Um, if you get into a camp that you're convinced that I can earn my way there, you're just going to be depressed all the time because it wasn't good enough over and over and over again. Now, with, with that as an introduction and, and that being said, our passage today gives us this beautiful picture of what Christians look like or should look like, what Christians should grow into. It, it, it gives us this um, chart of um, tracking our progress, if you will. And it does it in three ways or in, in, in three areas. First, we are told to grow. Christians should grow, should desire growth. We find this in the first half of verse 5. Secondly, we're told that Christian growth reveals spiritual fruit. This is laid out for us in verses 5 through 8, that, that chain that we read there. And then finally, in our, our final verses, 9 through 11, we see that Christian growth provides maturity and assurance of our salvation. So there's benefits and blessings to growth. So not only should we desire it, not only do, are we told what it should look like, we're told that there are blessings or benefits on top of what we already have, as if faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. But wait, there's more. Remember that refrain from last week? There's assurance and there's maturity along the way. And so let's consider each of these phases of Christian growth um, together, uh, really starting at an argument for growth itself. And we find that at the beginning of our passage. And just to, to again, um, start us off in verse 5, for this very reason. For this reason. What reason? Our reason for pursuing growth is tied to who you are in Christ. If you are trusting in Him by faith alone, you are children of God. We are part of His family and heirs to the promises and escape the consequences of the sin of this world. For that reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. We are not called to be idle in the Christian life. God does not say, well done, my good and faithful servant for believing and submitting yourself to me. Now sit down, sit back, and I'm coming in a little while and just be there when I get back. That is not what we're called to do as Christians. That's not what our life should look like. No, we're told to make every effort to grow or to supplement our faith. I don't think I'm reading into this to say then it will take effort. We have to grow through practice, through repetition. And we can think about this practically. Uh, one way I, I considered is how many of you today would still be married if you know, you, you did the, the courting and you did the pursuing and you did the chasing after one another and then on your wedding day you said, we've reached it, we've, we have become married and then you never spoke to them again. You never went out of your way to get to know them, to learn with them, to share with them, to interact with them. 
how long would that take before, one, you're either in my office um, doing counseling or you're just done? <laughs> now, be careful, man. Um, some of us are like, wait a minute. It wouldn't be that bad for a week or two, but be, be careful. Be careful. Don't get in trouble. It wouldn't take very long, and you'd go, I, what am I doing here? Like, I've, I've committed myself to this person. I need to be with this person through practice, through repetition, through life lived together. The same goes with our relationship with God. It, it's not, it doesn't peak at, at um, our coming to faith. No, no, that should project us even higher. And I, I really think that for many people, this is a hard pill to swallow because we have such a negative view of the word work. And I get it. I get it. Work is often hard. Work has been tainted by the fall. We don't yield 100% of the energy that we put in. And I know as I, I speak to many of you, sometimes it's just not fair. You, you do what's right. You do what's good. You're faithful in your task and the work still doesn't work. Or maybe you're working under people that don't have Christian views and Christian values. Maybe you're in a uh, profession that's been affected greatly by the pandemic and it just you can't even do your own work. There's so many reasons that, that we could find ourselves with a negative view of work. Now back to, to a gardening example. I, I remember a few years ago, I, Lisa and I love BLT sandwiches. It's one of our favorite pastimes. We're, we're already thinking about it this time of year and we're really trying to gear up for that. And we had a little garden in the planter box, planting several tomatoes, some heirlooms, and some other tomatoes, and beautiful, probably the most beautiful tomatoes that I've ever grown in, in my entire life. And then the squirrels came and ate them, all of them, but only half of all of them, to the point that it just really polluted it, and I was uncomfortable with it, and it just, it, 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 it wrecked our dreams of these cultivating and week after week, care after care, taking care of these plants. And we're almost to, to get to benefit from this. And the squirrels did instead of us. Well, I said that next summer, I'm not, uh-uh, that's not happening. So I, I set out and, and I'm not a, you need to know, one, I'm not a gardener. Two, I'm not a very technical person by nature. I'm learning. But I said, I will fix this. And so I built a, a, a cage and I put wire around it and I staked it into the ground and I locked that thing down and I said no squirrel will get in to my tomatoes now and they didn't. Unfortunately I made our tomato cage so tight that the plants couldn't grow. Even worse than that um, I didn't put a door in it. So the squirrels didn't get in but neither did I. And so for the second year in a row, we were at a farmer's market trying to get our tomatoes. But sometimes that's what work feels like, isn't it? In, in our own lives, in our day-to-day -day interactions. You just, you try and you try and you try and it just fails over and over. Well, well Christian, be very careful. I, I understand that and I appreciate that. But when God calls us to work, he's calling us to his work, not ours. And when God works, God's work yields God's fruit. And when God's work yields God's fruit, what does the Bible say? Not a hundred times yield, a thousand times yield what it is intended. God's work works. 
And so just be very careful, dear Christian, that when we think about the, the Bible calls us to work, let's not think about it in that sense. And let's not think about it as, um, I'm going to do this and accept a 50% rate, or I'm going to accept a lesser rate. Think about this as, I'm going to do this accepting God's rate of return. Which, if you remember again to verses 1 through 4, we're heirs to the promises of God. Go through that track record and find out God's batting a thousand. I think that's perfect in baseball, but um, he's not missed. And so when we're called to God's work, know that it is effective. Also know that God gives you the tools needed to work it out. The gardening is a beautiful example. It's a great analogy for it, and it's why the Scriptures uses it over and over again. Because while I'm doing my best for our lilies, and I did my best for those tomatoes, I didn't cause any of them to grow. I didn't do the growing for that plant. I just put it in the soil. I made sure it had sun. I, I gave it water and trusted God. God was the reason that those plants grew. And God will be the reason in your own life that you see growth. But, but note that it is called. We are called to grow, to work it out. And before we move on to this and look at what the fruit looks like, I, I want to make sure we understand that this full section, you know, 5A, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, what, what does that mean? That's kind of an odd statement. Some of your translations may say there, make every effort to add to your faith. That's even weirder. Um, and so as I've been prone to do lately, uh, let's go to the Greek and let's see um, what's going on. And, and here we, we get something, actually, it's, it's quite interesting. What's at play here? And I'll, I'm reading from a commentator. Um, in ancient Greece, the state would establish what we would understand as a chorus. But the director, the choregus, would pay the expenses for the training of the chorus. And so the word that is translated here, supplement or add, came to be used for one who provides or for one who supports others or supplies something for them in abundance. A believer then, taking this word and its translation, should furnish, supply, or support his life with these virtues. I love that. Much, much like the idea of that planting um, as people who are musicians, God gave you the voice. God gave you the ability to sing. Now, as people, and I know several of you have taught in the music field, know by practice you can hone that. And by practice you can more quickly find that note and find that spot and sing that pitch and, and read that music. But again, it didn't come from you. It's God working in you and through you. But don't miss the, the, the reality that while, yes, that is from God, but it can be shown or displayed in greater and greater de degrees. So we supplement our faith by working out that faith. And we do it in, in, in many different ways. But one last qualifier before we go into these categories. It is not necessary to produce growth in your life in the spiritual fruit in order to be saved. Hear that again. You do not, everything we're talking about is a benefit, is a blessing, but it is not a requirement. I go to the thief on the cross. He didn't have a long amount of time to work on his holiness 
to work on his brotherly love, to work on his kindness in the mere hours between his interaction with Jesus and his death. Because according to Jewish law, he would have had to have died by sundown or they would have had to kill him so that they didn't have him hanging on the Sabbath. We're looking at about a three to five hour window that he had. Probably didn't get far down this list in that period. But what does Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And so I, I again want to offer that it's the morning of qualifiers to be very careful that, that we don't conflate these things and start to say, well, I don't see this in my life. Am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? It's good to ask those questions, but if you are saved, if you are a Christian, that has to do with who Christ is and what Christ has done in your life, not what you are doing. And what you are doing will come from that. And so hopefully I've, I've, I've driven that home this morning, the, the call to, to good works, the, the call to flow out of our love of God into these things. And the order, the order is very important. So let's take some time and, and look at what that looks like. What, what does practically speaking that look like in our lives? Well, Peter gives us quite the list. Listen to it one more time. Make every effort to supplement your faith faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, most commentators agree that this is not a progressive list. Um, and they do that simply because um, they want to be careful that you don't, you know, neglect self-control until you understand knowledge. That you don't neglect brotherly affection until you have virtue. This is more a do all of these things, and it's more or less a poetic way to write it. Um, instead of saying, now this should precede this, and this should precede this, and this should precede this. Even though it's written in that way, that's more just a linguistic style uh, versus a, a stair step, if you will. But we do pass through this list in some form over the course of our life. And we, he starts here with faith. And so what does faith look like and, and how do we grow faith? And what I want to do is I just want to briefly touch on each of these and answer what it is and how do we grow it. Because that's important, right? If you, um, different plants need different things. They need to grow in different soils and different amounts of sunlight and um, all that good stuff. What is faith? It's trusting in God. It is taking God at his word. It is believing him by who he is and what he has done. Saying, I will hold to you. How do we grow faith? Well, I'll be real with you. And most of this list... As I learned as a young man, um, I needed work on patience. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God, help me with patience. Help me with patience. Help me with patience. And then I read the book of James and found out, do you know how God gives you patience in life? Patience comes through trials of various kinds. And then I stopped praying for it. He didn't stop giving them because I still needed it. Do you know how you grow in your faith? God gives you opportunities to use and test your faith. Do you know how you grow in most of this list? God puts you in positions to grow and test those character traits. And so 
it is good to pray, God, help me grow in my faith. But no, he's going to put you in places where you have to grow in your faith. And so I just give that as a free warning. It took a long time for me to learn that uh, in my life. Um, And it's a good lesson to know. But we grow in our faith when we are challenged to trust in God in more and more ways and in bigger, bigger situations. Speaking to a fellow minister um, recently, and he was telling me that um, he really had a path for his daughter. His daughter was getting ready to go to college, and he wanted her to have friends and to have a great church life and to be good academically and um, do all these things, but she was kind of struggling in her faith, and that was one path, but um, rather uh, God made her very sick and uh, brought her home and uh, caused her to struggle in many, many ways and in really hard, difficult health situations, but her faith exploded. And he said, Aaron, if you would ask me which I'd rather have for my child, I'd probably answer, is there anything in the middle? But that's not what God offered. And it was through that, that child's faith grew. Exponentially, her faith grew because she was put in a place where all she had was God. She couldn't fix it. The doctors couldn't fix it. Her parents couldn't fix it. It was not working. And she had to cling to God, and she did, and continues to, to this day. And, and she's not healed of this. It's, she's still fighting through it. But her faith is so much stronger because of it. And so faith is that, that key step. We, we really want to... Ask God to grow us in our trust for Him because that will help us with these other uh, characters, characteristics. You know, next he says, add to faith virtue. And, and, and virtue, depending on your Bible translation, this was a tough one, um, but you can actually translate this goodness. And then if you haven't caught on, we're really just repeating the fruit of the Spirit here. And now we're getting to the fruit that that we would recognize. So goodness. Um, You also could translate this, and I find this helpful, moral excellence. So really another way to say this is holiness. Acting in a way that's according to God's word and God's plan. So how do we grow that? We find ourselves in situations where we can make a moral choice or an immoral choice. We find ourselves through the study of God's word, knowing what right and wrong is, and then we put it into practice. And, and this one is another one that's kind of tough. Um, it's a tough lesson to learn, but it is necessary. Because we don't do what's right because it's right. We don't do what's right because of what we get from it. We do what's right because we serve a God who is right. And we serve a God who is good. And so when we have opportunity to, to act in goodness or act in moral excellence, we're called to choose the right thing and do it out of a right reason, not selfishly, not for the gain we get from it. It's, it's not the question of how close can I walk to the line between what I want and what God says. Rather, it's how close can I walk to God while staying away, as far away from the sins of this world as possible. And really, benefiting that one and benefiting all of them, the the next fruit that Peter mentions is knowledge. Knowledge of what? Um, We don't want to say just any knowledge. You know, if I go and get degrees in science and in mathematics and um, in all of those things, am I going to better understand the fruit of the Spirit? Not necessarily. There's a good chance, because if you want to be humbled, go into higher education. But... It's a particular kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge that comes from knowledge of God. 
and of God's word. It's a knowledge that says, I know what he says, so I know what to do. And so what does knowledge look like? It's understanding God's word and God's world. I don't want to negate the fact that we see expressions of him through creation. But if you want to grow in knowledge, and I know this appeals to many of us, I'm definitely in that camp, pick up a book. Here's where I'd start. Here first. And then there's a few others I could recommend. But study who God is. Study his character. Study the application of it. And, and seek to grow in these things. Because the more we know God, and the more we know God's truth, and the more we know God's commands, and the more we know how He says we should act, the better we're able to carry them out. This, this really, um, again, to overuse my plant analogy, this is the fertilizer. It's also the sun and the soil and the water. But it is fertilizer. It, 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 it boosts our growth. It, it explodes those other areas because we are, are, are saturated in the richness of God himself. And then, bless him, right in the middle, Peter says, self-control. Do you think that was hard for him to write? I do. I bet it was for, for the apostle Peter. Think over his life. I mean, this is the one that, that pulled out the sword. This is the one that jumped out of the boat. This is the one that said, I wouldn't deny you. I'll follow you to death. Self-control. This is not acting out of our passion. This is not being quick-tempered. This is a willingness to listen and a willingness to forgive. This is a characteristic that's tough for many of us because we want what we think is right. We want to to get on top of you. you. You say something wrong or you say something we disagree with or we're put in a situation where it's, we're backed into a corner and we want to pounce. But in all of these fruit of the Spirit, in, in all of these characteristics, Jesus is our perfect model. Jesus was, was falsely accused of being God. Now, he was falsely accused because he is God and they were wrong in the way they were accusing him. But... As we're getting ready to go into the Easter season, think about that. What's the refrain? What's the refrain in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel? And he opened not his mouth. Completely innocent. Completely capable of vindicating himself. Completely capable of calling 10,000 angels down from heaven. And issuing retribution immediately. That's self-control. Self-control in some ways is having the power to do something about it and choosing not to. And boy, that's tough. Boy, that's tough. But it is a, a, a spiritual fruit, if you will, and one that we need to cultivate. And it's another one. Be careful, because when you start praying, God, help me with self-control, he'll say, okay, <laughs> I'll give you chances to prove it and to grow in it. And really, um, what that is in, in giving those opportunities to grow in it is this, this next fruit, steadfastness. To, to look at what's ahead and to keep on going. To, to face those challenges, to face those difficulties, to be Christ-like, to, to not interact, to not fight back, to not call down the angels because he had to get to the cross. He had to get to that cross. He had to die. He had to sacrifice his life. And so while he had every ability and every opportunity, he kept on going. And think about the church that was the original audience of this letter. 
Peter is again writing to people that are actively dying because of this. They are losing their lives. They are losing their homes. By the time of 2 Peter, they're, they're being bombarded with theological confusion. And Peter is saying to them, keep going. I mean, between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, we're only a few years later, maybe four or five years later. How many more have died since the first one? And to them, he says, be steadfast. What is he really saying? Keep on dying. Give it all up for the sake of the gospel. Be willing to walk down that road knowing where it leads. That's steadfastness, and and we definitely need that cultivated in our lives. Trusting that, that God will give us boldness when the time comes. The next fruit that is mentioned is um, put simply as godliness. And this is another one that you could almost define as holiness, as Peter did throughout 1 Peter, to be like God in our character. And I I love this, and I, I say it too much from the pulpit. You are called Christians, like Christ. And I, I love where that comes from. It was originally derogatory. You silly Christians. Think about it. They crucified Jesus over his beliefs and teaching and practices. So when they found someone saying and believing the same things, he's like, you silly Christians. We killed the boss. Like, what are you still doing this for? What a beautiful, beautiful slur that's been granted to us as the church. Oh, that we would be Christians. Oh, that we would be like Christ in our behavior. So much so that the world goes, aha, there's another Christ-like follower. How precious is the words of the fool in that regard. And again, I I go back to knowledge. The only way we can be Christ-like is to know Christ. The only way we can know Christ is to know his word. And so if we want to grow in this, go to the God's word. Start in the beginning. Grab one of the Gospels. There's all throughout. There's, you, you could not pick a wrong place to go. Learn about who God is and the promises that He makes, and, the, and that the fulfillment of all those come in Christ. The next to final fruit that Peter tells us to cultivate in our lives is brotherly affection. This goes back to my probably least favorite section of the end of First Peter. You heard me rant on it, where he calls us to greet one another with the holy kiss. I'm in my introverted nature, I, I'm, I'm, no. But this is a level of, of trust and respect and love for one another. This is a level of, of closeness and friendship we should have between people in the church that we are in each other's lives, that we do understand each other's struggles, that we walk alongside one another, that we bear one another's burdens. And, and this is one that, in some ways, it's rather easy to grow. Get to know your brothers and sisters. Find time to, to be with them. Learn what they like. Learn what they don't like. Learn their struggles. Learn their hobbies. Just walk with them. And that will grow you in brotherly affection. And be honest. Be honest. Now, you have to be careful with this. When someone asks you how you're doing... As long as you're not having like some like existential crisis at that time, try being honest. You might scare them a little bit. How are you doing? I'm really contemplating just the purpose and meaning of life, and I'm in a really depressed state, and I don't know how I'm going to make it till tomorrow. 
probably not going to get interaction that way, but if, if next time someone asks how you're doing you're, and you go, no, not that great. I've got a lot of hard things going on in my life. Would you like to hear about them? That's a great way to cultivate brotherly affection. So, Like I said, as long as you don't weird them out, like ease in. But give them, a, give them an opportunity to say something other than, oh, I'm good, fine. How about you? Oh, I'm great, thanks. And then on you go. And really capping off this list, Peter gives us the final one, the final slot, love. Grow in your love for one another. Grow in your love for the church and ultimately in your love for God. And this is done by pursuing these other fruits. As we know each other better, as we're serving the church better, as we're practicing self-control, as we have the knowledge of God, as we're seeking goodness and we're seeking godliness and we're, we're trying to be faithful in all of these areas of our life, the only consequence, the, the, the outflowing, the, the necessary result of that will be a display of love. You won't be able to help it. It, it. it will just come out of you and into the moments and seasons of your life. I have a note here to make sure and say that um, as we grow in our faith and understand our shortcomings and failures, we should appreciate all the more what God has done for us. You're not necessarily worse as you get older, but rather you see even better how bad you've been all along. Our love will grow as we spend time with one another and time with the Lord and appreciate where he brought us from. The better we know ourselves and our sin and our struggle, the better we will appreciate who God is and where he brought us from. And then Peter just says, to to close out this section, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. If you are seeking to pursue these things, if you are growing in these areas, to state it positively, to reverse that passage, it makes you effective and it makes you fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. You will grow, you will produce fruit, and you will be effective for the sake of the kingdom. But let's um, move to the the final point rather quickly um, to see the benefit of this. There is blessing in this. There There is promise in this, and that is maturity and assurance. And I love this analogy. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What's really at play here, and again, I went to the commentators and to the Greek, um, nearsighted and blind, the way it reads originally, is almost he has closed his eyes so that he can't see. So it, it, it's not like me, who is all but legally blind without corrective lenses. It's, it's not like someone born blind it's like that child that you tell to do something and they shut their eyes thinking you can't see them anymore. That's what Peter is saying here. That's how you're acting when you hear these fruit and you hear what God has done and you go, no, I'm not going to grow in that. You're, you're shutting your eyes and refusing to accept what is around you. But if you understand where you came from, if you understand the weight of your sin, if you understand who you were, which is dead in sin, and who you are now, which is alive in Christ, you won't lack in these qualities. Because it says whoever lacks these, that's what they're doing. And one of the biggest blessings of this passage 
is the final verse. Verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice the certainty of that statement. There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you are faithful in these, if you are seeking to grow, if you are striving in the Lord, if you are struggling through these, know that there is some assurance evolved. Know that you are certain that God is working in you and that he is coming back for you and that he will bring you home. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged if you cannot see yourself perfectly in this list. That's, that's not the meaning of this. I offer two practical, practical points to address as we close. One, if you heard the sermon and you heard this list and you're like, I don't see any of that, I'm in trouble, you're too close to the source to see clearly. Like we can't see ourselves because your, your eyes are in your body. So take that practically. Find someone near you, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a colleague. Ask them to examine your life if you trust them and, and they're honest with you in the Lord. And ask them, do they see this fruit in your life? Because you're too close. You can't see it. And so if you're feeling discouraged, take that as a, as a, as a way to encourage you. Secondly, uh, if you find yourself discouraged, um, know that you're a work in progress. You're not dead right now, and Jesus has not come back right as soon as I'm speaking this. Which means there is still time. Which means there is still opportunity to grow which means there is still work to be done and it can be done. And so don't find yourself and go, I'm really stinking at self-control. Well, there's still time, unless there's not, and then there's not. But as long as there is, we've got an opportunity to grow in these things, to grow in this way. And trust that God will do the work in your life. I'll just conclude by, by this. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is God's working in you. Even though this, this message has mostly been about how you should work these things out, know that God's not going to leave you alone in it. It's, it's, not, it's not the reverse of what we said earlier. You get saved and you sit down and go, I'm good, and God says, you're good, and I'm coming back. It's not that God says, now go work, and God sits down, and you go off, and he sits there until you come back. No, God is still with you. He is still with you. We know that because he gives you the Holy Spirit. See the book of Acts at Pentecost. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit helps you grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And so even though God is telling you to grow in this, know that He is not leaving you alone, and He is going to be with you to help you grow in these ways. And that is His promise for you, that He will do this for you. But at the end of the day, salvation through Jesus Christ is enough. And that is a great place to close in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the patience of your people. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I, I thank you that even in a passage where we're called to work and we're called to act and we're called to, to carry out these things in our lives, to seek these fruit, that we do so because of who you are and because of what you've done and by your strength and help. It's not on us alone or else we would be without hope. Lord, may we rest in you in the finished work of Christ. Be with us now as we see that displayed before us in the sacrament of communion. And I pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of